This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. Last week we looked at the second part of the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. This is what brings a new Christian into the local church. It is there that we can fulfill the third part of the Great Commission, which is what I want to talk about today. That means I want to look at the purpose of the church assembled. In other words, when we come together as a church, what is our purpose? Of course, there's worshiping God and and uh, and fellowshipping one with another, but there's a, a purpose which seems to be lacking uh, in today's churches. Most churches today are quite different from those that we see in the New Testament. Many of them have become uh, social clubs. Others have become entertainment centers. Even in the conservative churches, they have changed what they're supposed to be. Rather than fulfilling the third part of the commission, they have become soul winning centers. Is the church supposed to reach the lost? Yes, of course they are. However, when the church comes together, its purpose is taking those who have been saved and making disciples out of them. As the church fulfills this purpose, the mature disciples will naturally reach their communities for Christ and they will give to and send missionaries throughout the world. The Bible passage that best explains the purpose of the church when it comes together is found in Ephesians chapter 4. We will start reading in verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body to the edifying of itself in love. You will notice that this passage starts out by giving us four uh, types of preachers that are giving to the local church. The first one is the apostle. That's one who is sent on a mission under the authority of another. Now there are the apostles of Christ who were sent out under Christ's direct authority, who were called by him and sent out by him, and those apostles don't exist anymore. So don't think that I'm talking about apostolic succession. So not all apostles are the apostles of Christ. There are also the apostles of the churches. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 13. It says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucas of Cyrene, and Manon, which had been brought up 
with Herod the Tetrarch, excuse me for stumbling a bit here, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. Now here we have a church that's choosing two men from within that church and sending them out under the authority of that church. And later they came back and reported to that church, just like our missionaries do today. Anyway, and they sent them out to start churches in other parts of the world. And if you want to know what they're title was, just look at chapter 14 and verse 14. When the apostles, Barnabas and Saul, heard of this, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out. Now, the context of this isn't what I want us to get, so I'm forgetting some of that, but I want you to notice it says the apostles, Barnabas and Paul. Now, we know that Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ because uh, he was called on the road to Damascus, and Paul or Jesus spent three years training him. But we also need to understand that Barnabas was not one of the twelve apostles, or however you want to count them, the apostles of Jesus Christ. Yet he's definitely called an apostle in this passage. Not only is he called an apostle, he is actually listed before Paul, indicating that he might have been the primary of the two, the, the leader of the two as they stepped out. So we could say that Paul was a double apostle. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he was also an apostle of uh, the church at Antioch. The term we use today to describe people like Barnabas and Saul is the term missionary. The apostles are missionaries sent out under the authority of the New Testament church to go out into the world, spread the gospel, and establish new churches. The next one on the list is the prophet. Now, the word prophet means to speak forth or to be a spokesman. The Old Testament prophets were called when Israel turned from God, and they were God's spokesmen who went to God's people and warned them of the dangers that were before them if they did not turn back to God. Their purpose was to turn backslidden Israel back to God. And we have those today who are gifted in in uh, preaching the the word of God to God's people and warning them of the dangers that lie ahead. The prophet speaks God's word to God's people turn them back to God. And boy, do we need that today. Evangelists, now that's an easy one. The word evangelist means one who brings good news. The evangelist is gifted to bring the good news of the gospel to the lost sinner. Now, all of us are supposed to be involved in evangelism, but there are special preachers that God has equipped and prepared to uh, Take the gospel to the lost. And I have been around some of those people, and sometimes they can be a little bit scary. But let me tell you that we're all to be involved, but there are those that are specifically gifted to that. And then the last one on the list, which I think has the hardest job of them all, is pastors and teachers. Now, some want to separate that into two gifts, but the grammar both in English and Greek indicates that it's one gift and that they are one and the same person. But the pastor is the one who cares for the daily needs of the saved. He teaches them the word of God. He feeds the flock. He counsels them uh, 
when they're going through their trials or need counsel. That's the term elder applies to him. And he supervises the operation of the church, and that's the term bishop. All of these terms reply to the pastor. But this, uh, the pastor's job is, <clears throat> is feeding the flock, being there when they're, uh, when they're in need, and helping them through their trials, and, and, uh, and making sure that the things in the church are run correctly. Verses 12 through 14 of the passage we read at the beginning uh, give us the purpose of the church when it comes together. In uh, verse 12, it tells us, first of all, that it is the purpose of the church when it comes together to prepare the saints for the work of the ministry. It says it's to bring them to perfection. Now that word perfection does not mean sinlessness. It means to bring them to maturity. It's to take a baby Christian who's just saved and bring him to a mature Christian for what purpose? So that he can do the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry? Well, the work of the ministry, first of all, is something that every church member is to be involved in. We talk about pastors and evangelists, etc., being in the ministry, but every Christian is in the ministry and so the work of the ministry is whatever is necessary to get the work of God done which by the way the primary purpose of God having us on this earth as Christians and not just taking us home the moment we get saved is that we might bring glory to him which of course will include evangelism but it also includes godly living it also includes the charitable things that we do it includes that everything that we do as Christians that brings about uh, or that brings glory to God and all Christians are in the ministry we don't all have the same function that's a subject for another message sometime maybe but the next thing is in verse 12 we see it's the edification of the church that local church that local body of saints it's to build that up which is what the word edify means we're to build up that church we're to build it up spiritually we're to build it up uh, numerically things like this we're to build up that church and that's the whole purpose of of uh, the ministry is to get people saved get them into the church and get them trained for the work of the ministry which is not just saving souls although that's an important part and i i don't think i can say that too much because so many of our independent fundamental bible-believing baptist churches have become soul winning centers instead of disciple-building centers. I'd like to point out that shepherds don't give birth to lambs. Sheep do. And as uh, Christians, we're supposed to be built up in the faith to the point where we can uh, bring new people into the fold, give birth to new Christians, if you will. Shepherds assist the sheep in giving birth, but they don't give birth themselves and we need to keep that in mind a pastor is there to help you if you're having trouble reaching somebody or need help in that in that line Uh, but he's not the primary soul winner in the church now he should set the example by being a soul winner but every person in the church is responsible for reaching the loss that god brings across their path I mentioned earlier the evangelist, and the evangelist is the one who goes out and preaches the gospel, but every Christian is to be involved in soul winning. In verses 13 and 14, it talks about bringing doctrinal unity. 
it says the unity of the faith. That means we should all believe the same things. I think if you look around the Christian world today, you'll very quickly learn that we're doing a very poor job of bringing everyone into doctrinal unity. There's all kinds of different doctrines uh, going around out there. There, There's different even different doctrines about who saved. There's Calvinism and uh, and what the Bible says, and then there's Arminianism, and there are three different things. There are not just two, like the Calvinists would have us believe, but there's differences there. There's differences on on what the church is. There's differences on how a Christian should live his life. No, it shouldn't be that way. There's to be a a uh, unity in the faith, and that unity can only be found in agreement on the scriptures and the purpose of the church brought together is to get all the members of that local church uh, to agree on doctrine to be in unity over what they believe we all profess to believe the same bible we all study the same bible we all have the the same teacher the holy spirit don't you think we should all believe the same things I mean, if you go to school and you're in a math class and the teacher gets up and teaches you, uh, for example, algebra teaches you the algorithms and, and or the all of the things that you need to know in order to come to the correct answer. And if you say, well, I'm going to do it my own way, you're not going to get the right answer. Well, the same is true in Christianity. As we go to church, we should all be taught the same things. We should all be taught things from the textbook, the Bible, and we should all come out at the end believing the same things. And anything different than that is totally wrong and needs to be adjusted. It's it's an area that really concerns me. And that's one of the purpose of this ministry is to bring people to an understanding of what the Bible actually says on things so that we can be in agreement and in unity. And it's the disunity among professing Christians and even true Christians that is causing people to laugh at us and reject the message that we have. If we don't agree on things, they're going to say, well, you can get anything you want from the Bible. And you can if you take things out of context. And so we need to come to unity uh, in the faith. Uh, In verse 13, it also says we're to come into conformity with Christ it talks about the perfect man there it's talking about uh, about becoming mature Christians now the fact that it uses man does not leave women out that's a generic term for humankind uh, and it's been that way until recently and when we have to be politically correct but the perfect man means the mature Christian were to be brought into conformity with Christ in Romans chapter 8 verse 29 we know 28 which says for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God for them who are the called according to his purpose but verse 29 says for whom he did foreknow he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So we're supposed to live lives that that model the life that Christ set for us, or that follow, I guess I should say, he's the model, but that follow of the example given by Christ. Why? So that he could be the firstborn of many brethren. 
but we're called Christians because we're supposed to be Christ-like. I was in discussion with one of our deacons last night, and it was a really good discussion, and I enjoyed it very much. And uh, we were talking about what a Christian is. Just because you're saved doesn't make you a Christian. If you go to uh, the book of Acts, it says the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. What is a disciple? Well, the root word is the same as the word discipline. A disciple is someone who is sets at the feet of his master, learns what the master has to say, and then disciplines himself or lives according to those teachings that the master has given. And uh, we need to understand that you can be saved, although I don't know how, and not be a disciple. Uh, a disciple follows the teachings of his master. If we want to know how we're supposed to accomplish this task of, of bringing the saints to maturity, we find that in verses 15 and 16. It starts out by saying, speaking the truth in love. The church is supposed to be the place where truth can be found. In First uh, Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, it says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. If you can't find the truth in a church, something is really, really wrong with that particular church. You will notice here that it says that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. A pillar is something that you set something up on top of so it can be seen. Ground is what it stands on. So truth should be set up on a pillar in the church where it can be seen. That means it should be preached. It should be practiced in our lives. It should be exposed to the, to the world around us. Uh, we are to do all of this in love. There are those who, who preach the truth, but do it in the most antagonistic and hateful manner that they can. Uh, I know of a particular evangelist, I'm not going to call his name, but, but I've heard him preach, and when he gets up, he says the truth, he tells what's true, but he uses language that is as is, is harsh as he can to try and shock people. That's not the way we're supposed to preach the truth. We're supposed to uh, preach the truth in love. And something that I think we ought to understand about that is something that my son-in-law often says, and you know him, he's Tom Wallace, he's Fortress of Faith Ministries, and he's on this radio station also, but he often says, you're seldom persuasive when you're abrasive. We're to preach or speak the truth in love. In John 13, verse 35, it says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Love is an important part of the Christian life, and the truth is not always sweet, but love is always gentle. So we're supposed to preach the truth in love, and we're to, to speak the truth even when it hurts, but we're to speak do it with love because we care. I'm a parent. I've raised children and I raised them in a time when you were still allowed to spank your children, which I think is the Bible way of disciplining children. Well, when I spanked the children, I did it in love. At least I hope I did. And they uh, were pained by it. It hurt. And I was hurt by it. I didn't like to have to do it. The other thing that is necessary if we're going to uh, 
grow our churches and accomplish the mission of the church is we're to desire the milk of the word. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. You can't grow in Christ without the word of God. That's why the preaching of doctrine in churches is so important and it has to come from the word of God. Right now our church, the pastor on Wednesday night is going through Baptist distinctives. It's helping us understand why we're Baptist. Does it mean something to be a Baptist? And so uh, it has to be done but we're to desire that. We should desire that. That's why we should be in every church service because we should want to be taught the word of God. Now once the milk helps us to start maturing we're also supposed to come to the point where we uh, eat, can handle the meat of the Word of God or eat the meat of the Word of God. In Hebrews 5.14 it says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I want you to notice there that it belongs to them who are of full age. That means those who are mature. Very small children can't handle meat. There has to be a certain maturity before you can handle the meat. And the Word of God has both milk for the new babies and for the young Christians. It has the softer stuff that you go from a milk to start feeding solid foods to children it has a softer stuff for for Christians who are at that stage in their Christian life and it has strong meat for those who are uh, mature enough to handle it and we all need to strive to become mature enough to handle that strong meat. Uh, we are to work together as a body. It says that we are joined together as church members. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 has a whole section on what it means to be joined together as a body. The local church is his body. I know there are those that teach there's some universal church and universal body, but I've searched the scriptures and I can't find it in there. The body of Christ is a church and the church is by definition a local assembly, but the church is his body and a body has parts and every part in the, in the body has a purpose. And we need to fulfill our purpose in that particular body where God has placed us. Every part that does not work properly decreases the efficiency of the body. Every part that does its work properly increases the growth or edifies or builds up the body. The secret to making it all work is charity. Without charity, none of this is going to work. But I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about this idea of charity being necessary. Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I, can, so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. All of this is held together by a love. First of all, our love one for another as Christians. We're nothing without that kind of charity. If we don't care about others, we're, we're just totally worthless. They have no value whatsoever. Uh, 
faith and hope are are important. We must have faith. We must have hope. We must have the other Christian characteristics. But without love, they are they're of no value. In the last verse of First Corinthians chapter thirteen, it says, "Now abideth faith, hope, and charity." These three. Now listen to this. But the greatest of these is charity. Charity is the highest form of love. It's where we go outside of ourselves and we reach out and we're concerned more about the the needs of others than we are with our own needs. Didn't Christ set the example when he stepped down out of heaven, lay aside his, laid aside his deity for a short period of time, and walked on this earth as just walking here as a man must have been quite hard for him. I mean, not hard in the fact that it's too hard for God, but it must have been something that, that was difficult for him to accept as be, limiting himself to being just a man. But then he, he did that with his eyes on the cross, knowing the end of his life and how horrible it was going to be. And he did that. Why? Because he had that kind of love that we call charity towards us. His concern was more about us than us than what he was going to have to suffer himself. And so we should have the same attitude towards others. Without that kind of love, none of the rest of this is going to uh, matter. We should uh, love others enough to tell them when they're wrong. Love others enough to encourage them when they're right. Love others enough to teach them how to stay out of trouble, how to do what God expects. And this isn't done just by the preachers and just by the pastor. This is done by parents as they're raising their children. The Bible says we're to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're to feed them on God's word. We're to warn them of the dangers of not following God's word and just train them up so that they are good servants of Christ. That's the way we first of all bring them to salvation and then that's how we make them good productive people in society. So it's all done with love though and it doesn't work without love. Let me start now, it's a little early maybe, but let me start now by winding this down. First of all, I'd like to point out that the church is not a social club it's not a place where we go just to have fellowship. Now, we do have fellowship. There are social social aspects to our church and our church life, but that's not what church is about. It's not an entertainment center. It's not where we go to be entertained. It's not a place that we go just so we can feel good. It's not a place that we go just to do our duty. It's not even an evangelism center, and we need to keep that in mind. It's a place where we build up Christians and prepare them for the work of the ministry. It's a training center for the soldiers in God's army. Every part in a church is important. It's important that each part fulfills its purpose. Folks, if nobody cleaned the church and nobody made sure the bathrooms were clean, it wouldn't be too long until nobody would come to that particular church. It's an important part of the work. Now, those who who, uh, clean the church should also be concerned about souls, but that's a function that God may have put someone in a particular church to do. Uh, All of them are important because we are a unit that functions together, and until we get all parts working together, we'll never have our full effectiveness. 
We have a man in our church who many years ago lost the use of one of his eyes. He still functions, but he can't function as well as he did when he had both eyes. There are people who lose an arm or a leg or even both of them, and they can still function to a certain degree, but the body does not function as well without them. Uh, I have one leg that's shorter than the other, so that short leg carries, believe it or not, the most of the load when I'm standing in things because if I stand on my other leg, that one doesn't touch the ground. Now, you won't notice it unless I point it out to you. It's not that short, but uh, everything functions best when every part is in its place and every part is doing what it's supposed to do. When any part malfunctions or is missing, the body suffers. And that's true of the church. If you're part of a church, God puts you in that church for a reason. When you're not there, the church suffers. And you need to be there. You need to love one another. You need to love the lost around us. We need to, all of these things are necessary if we're going to grow a, a church. Next week, I want to look a little bit deeper into the statement that I made about the church not being an evangelism center because that's going to offend some of you. Some of you will take this to mean that I don't believe the church is responsible for reaching the world, and you'll see next week that that's not what I believe. It is responsible for reaching the world, but it's to do it after the model that is given in Scripture and not by the precepts and teaching of men. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828 828- 244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.